Let's get started and then we'll pray in the middle and you'll see why I'm praying in the middle. That's an interesting thing. Anyway, for the past two weeks, we've been going through a survey of the more than 51 and others in the New Testament. A survey, obviously, if you know there's more than 51 and others, you realize how many weeks we'd have to be doing each one. Actually, the nice thing is there are a ton of love one another in the New Testament, so you can kind of bundle those up. It's interesting that that one's the mass number, right? Is that the biggest problem that we have, is loving one another? I mean, on a serious love one another, not high. And I know the hard part sometimes for us, as we're trying to open up a little bit more to fellow believers, it's a little hard to do the little meet and greet for about, what, we do it about two minutes, three minutes maybe, and Joel just says go. And then you get the little cluster, and about as far as you can go is what? Hi, good morning. Is that loving one another? No, that's just a common greeting. It's just y'all say hi, whatever. So, we first started in the upper room with Jesus and the remaining 11 disciples. John 13 records that Jesus rose from the dinner, washed the disciples' feet, which we do remember Peter had an issue. It was humiliating for him. Do you realize that was a task that should have been arranged and should have been provided by a slave, a menial slave, and a low-level task? It wasn't done. So Jesus washed their feet and then asked this question of the men in verse 12. Do you understand what I've done to you? Causing them to dig deep into the life of Christ as they were, have been living with the living God for the last few years. He asks, as I've done to you, how have you seen this in what I have done all these years while I've been with you. It's an interesting, interesting, it's just interesting that Jesus would ask that question, causing them to look at his life and ministry, the examples that were there. Jesus commands then in verse 14, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The life of a true believer of God will see that washing feet is a given. It's what we do. And I told you, I, I was part of a foot-washing service. That was brutal. I don't think I've ever been as humiliated in my life as I ever could have been. And you know, in Arizona, feet aren't the prettiest things in the world. They smell, they're nasty. And Jesus, without a word, took off his outer garments, put on a towel, and started washing feet. No fanfare. No, look at me, look at how I'm doing. How come you guys didn't get the slave that we needed to be able to do this? What's your problem? didn't say anything. He just did. It was a natural reaction to serve. What brings this home is that verse 15, Jesus states, For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Should do. Why should we do something like foot washing? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, that is the natural response we should have if we're living by the Spirit. Our first week's text was John 13, 33 through 35. Let me read it again. So we've got this kind of come forward in our one another's. 
Little children, get a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, we brought up the point, love for others is proof text of whether or not we're truly a believer. Jesus said it. He comes forth and just literally lays the foundation and tells the world, you go ahead and look at those who claim to be mine, and then you look at their life, and you look at the actions, and you look at the love that they have for one another, and you make that determination whether they're truly mine. He gave the world that. It's not for us. This has been the message from the beginning in 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In 1 John, it's stated again in chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John really doesn't want anybody to miss this point. He's clear. He shows us the commandment in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God, not from our inside emotions and tries of our flesh. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Do you get that? It's not something that you conjure up. It's not something that you make up. It is in you. It is you. If you're a child of God. See how many times this comes up as a question? You can fake it on the outside, but there's no way that from the core of your life you can fake it. It either exists in our life or it doesn't. Week two, knowing that God's love is in us, As our foundation, we understood that we honor one another by humbling ourselves. Oh, that was... (laughs) Anybody anybody agree that was toe time again? Mashed on the old toes to humble yourself? Well, it is. It's hard. Our text was Philippians 2, 3 through 5. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Where does it come from? God. It's not self. History is clear that selfishness is the core sin of Satan and born out in Adam and Eve. They did their own thing against God's command. Selfishness is the strongest mark of the deeds of the flesh. That's scary. That's scary. We cannot even imagine how selfish we are. 
we mask it a lot of times on the outside. We make it look pretty, like we're really doing something for somebody, but we've got so many selfish drives, it's dangerous. Coupled with selfishness is conceit, where an individual is self-seeking their own glory. Oh, I'd never do that. <laughs> yeah, just look at your week. I caught myself so many times still. This is a deceived individual that Paul points out in Galatians 6.3. For if anyone thinks he is something, he is nothing. He deceives himself. I always say in my mind when I read that verse, get over yourself. That's hard to do. Because who do we want to take care of the most? Ourself. It's bad. So a self-seeking, conceited individual has no room for God nor his people. Do you see that match? How that works through? They don't have any room for God. What's the natural outcome of that? There's not going to be any room for his people. They will not humble themselves to honor anyone. We are humbled through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and through the reading of the word and this is the hard part, many will not daily dig into the word of God to see their own sin, but will set in their minds that they are good. I've asked people sometimes, they say, well, it's been a while since I've been in the word. And you have to kind of do a little digging and prodding and poking, and, but you get in there long enough and you go, why? And what it boils down to being what? I don't want to see my sin. If I don't see my sin, then I don't have to deal with it wrong if you don't deal with it god will don't think you're getting off just because you didn't get in the word they're many times good by external events and not deep in the heart do we daily desire to walk humbly before all people do we go to god asking him to show us our sin have you ever done that god get in there and dig around <clears throat> open it up and let's look well, David did. Before going on to our next one another, we need to stop and pray. As David prayed in Psalm 139, where he said, and this is after he just examined the point of God's omniscient and omnipresent, and he turned around Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Why go any further if the love of God is not permeating our hearts? Trying to do any one another's without God's love centered in our life and moving through our life is useless. Let's pray. Father God, it's unfortunate and almost useless to go forward and study and go to do any more of the one another's if we do not see you front and center and absolutely abiding in our life if your love is not present in us and flowing through us there's nothing that we're going to be able to do that honors and glorifies you it's going to be all our flesh it's going to be our centered self-centered life it's only going to puff up our conceit we're just doing it for ourselves God, help us to open the text of Scripture to see truly where we are in our walk with you. And at the same time, too, we ask that you would open our hearts 
get us down to the deep dark parts that we can actually see the true reality of the sin that remains inside of our life. God, show us that, and as you have promised, and I know David knew it, that you would then lead us. Lead us into a life that is honoring and glorifying to you, and at the same time, a service to others. God, we thank you so much for your patience and kindness to us. Show us where we need to grow in Jesus Christ. Amen. So far, we've seen the one another's are founded on the love of God in our lives because of the work of Christ on the cross. It's only because of Christ that we can love. We move further to understand that to honor one another, we must be humble. That's a hard one. Peter put this point clearly in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And I love this image that we have. Clothe yourselves. All of you. Not just some. With humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember years ago, I had a college student that I was working with. And he says, you know, I got a problem with pride. <laughs> so do I, but I'm not going to tell you yet, but whatever. <laughs> he says, what do I do? I said, first pray, big time. But hey, why don't you do a, a topical study on pride and see God's thoughts on pride? So we got together the next week when we had our college ministry meeting. He comes up and he goes, oh man, I hate you. <laughs> I'm like, what? He says, I didn't even get very far in the Old Testament before I realized this is the most horrid thing that God hates the most. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Pride comes before the, how many falls have you had? What do you back up and look at? You look at pride. Oh, I am so good. Oh, yeah, well sit down. You're not. So this one, you think about it. Love one another. We've moved from there to humble yourself. If you don't have a humbled heart and you're not broken before God, guess what you can't do? This third one, serve one another. Now this one's tricky because already right now you're going, well, I've done this and this and this and this. Is that pride? I have done this and this. And what's the middle letter in the word pride? Okay, you got it. All right. Our text is Galatians 5, 13 through 15. It's a little interesting text to look at. And I feel sad that we're actually going into the middle of these texts rather than looking at the whole book, but we're not got that much time. So the text reads, For you are called from freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It's got a lot of points to it. We've been called to freedom. You go back to verse 1 in that same chapter. Paul's clear, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We are not slaves of sin any longer, but free by the work of Christ on the cross. 
Paul states that again in Romans 6, 17 and 19. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which when you were committed and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms. You once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You're growing up. Go back to verse 13 again in our text. We are free from the slavery we had to sin. Now he's not saying that we do not sin anymore, so don't even think that way, but that it is not our master, or it shouldn't be. We serve a new master willingly. We're a bondservant that has gone back and has received our freedom, but yet we return back to the master and say, I want to serve as your slave for life. I want to. But with freedom, there's a stern warning that we do not go into either direction to each extreme. I think you know what I'm talking about. The direction of legalism nor extreme liberality. On the one side, you live under the law of rules, again, that have nothing to do with your life in Christ. A legalistic life. I remember the old line growing up, really didn't understand it, that said, you don't smoke, drink, or go with girls who do. Ah, you know, didn't understand that. The list of don'ts that on the outside looked good, but in the heart there was dark, deep sin. So no matter what you try to make happen on the outside, you're still dealing with a corrupted inside. No matter what you did on the outside did not change the condition of the heart. You would live your life by external rules hiding from sin within. It's all external rules do. What was the reaction that Jesus had when he was dealing with the Pharisees? He called them what? Whitewashed tombs. What was on the outside? It looked great. It looked wonderful. Didn't look like a tomb at all. What was on the inside? Death. Nothing. How does that happen? You put up such a veneer on the outside so much to the point you can't even see the reality on the inside. One, because you're probably not even looking. And you're not going to God and asking Him, show me. No, our freedom is not for our use, if you understood that. But it's for God's use, as with that freedom comes the love of God in our lives. That love is to be used to serve one another. It is not there for our own use. It's to be completely given out. The extremes of freedom are the work of the flesh. The flesh is our sin, and that is what we have been saved from. We are no longer to live out by the commands of our flesh. But it creeps up, doesn't it? Think about it as, you know, as we're being saved, we're literally dragging along this gunk that was our flesh that we still live in. That's the conflict that we have that Paul talked about in Romans. We have been saved to love 
each other. Again, we go back to the upper room as Jesus gave the greatest example by washing feet as he served the apostles. Washing others' feet is just the tip of the iceberg in our service to one another. That's just the starting point. Our service can only be God-driven by the Spirit in us. It will not happen by the flesh. The flesh is corrupt, and our service in the flesh will be corrupt. And I was thinking of this. Consider what service in the flesh would look like. What would it look like? What do you think? I mean, I could go on and on and on. I mean, I hit a few things that I thought were big, but how about those who serve to get? You can't see it on the outside, but you know what they're doing on the inside. I'm doing all these nice, good things. Why? To get. I have heard that from people. Well, I helped you here. Now you need to. What's that? That's serving to get. It's an exchange. It's not an exchange. You serve not expecting anything in return. But down inside we're going, yeah, but I helped you. You need to help me. The barter system. It's not a barter system. How about this one? To be recognized for their service. I volunteer. Look at what I did. Now, they're not going to be overt in the outside and say that. But have you ever done that yourself by serving to kind of be recognized? You can pretty much tell that because are you doing things that are big? Or do you do things that are small and stinky? I'll clean the bathrooms. I will. I'll do it to God's honor. Oh, we've got a sewer that backed up. I'll do it. I'll get in there. I'll clean it up. Some kid just threw up in the hallway. I'll get it. Those are stinky. Those are dirty. Do you jump to have the opportunity to serve that way? Or do you only want the big ones? Look, look, look. I am helping. That's why sometimes I don't really like being acknowledged for doing anything at all. It's just this is what we're supposed to do as natural believers in Christ. Serve should be a natural response. All right, what does it look like then to consider service from God's centered love? I always thought about this as there will always be a burning desire to look for opportunities to serve others. No recognition needed, just the joy of the Lord as we honor those around us from humble hearts. See how that thing starts to mix together? Humble heart honoring, I want to serve. I don't need any recognition, not from man. I want to honor God. Again, Christ is our example when he came here in the form of a man, Philippians 2, 5, and 7. Having this mind among yourselves, see how that statement starts? Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. You know, in our, if, if our humanists would have written this, it would have said that he emptied himself to take on the form of a king. Right? But he didn't 
took on the form of a servant to serve. I didn't come to seek, what? Anything for myself, but came to serve. See, service is a natural response if we know who Jesus is and it's dynamic and alive in our heart. The example before us is that Christ emptied himself. That's a huge statement. Have you emptied yourself to serve somebody or you want something back? Do you want some touch, touch? This is hard. Think on that one deeply. Not for just a few minutes, but throughout your life and in the morning prayers. Will you empty yourself to serve others? It's humbling. Oh, and it's hard. <laughs> oh, it's hard. Be assured you have Christ's Spirit living in you, giving you the direction to serve others. If you are ruled and controlled by the Spirit, He will direct your paths to serve others. That's the encouraging part. Can I take a little caveat? Another reason why we need to kind of get out and get in different parts of the congregation and meet more and more people and kind of get out of ourself is so you can start picking up and hearing the needs of others and be able to naturally respond. Do you look at the bulletin and go through the bulletin and when you see that there's a need, there's a natural move to want to meet that need or not? I don't know. What do you think the bulletin is there for? Scratch paper? Sometimes it looks like it. You're like, oh, doodling. This must have been a pew full of kids. No, it was full of adults. Okay. Galatians 5.14 gives us the positive result of the Christ-centered life for the whole law is fulfilled with one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus taught this in Matthew 22.36-40. through 40. You remember that one? Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And... I love what Jesus says. He pulled it right together, right on top of that. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Do you realize that? It's imperative that we love God absolutely with our whole being, but what else do we have to love with our whole being? one another's because of the love of God of Christ is in you that's proof text that you're a believer we serve our neighbor one another's because we love God the only way that we can love God is for God to love us first and to call us to himself and exchange our sinfulness with his righteousness that's the exchange that's what happened we call that double imputation Our filthy rags, our unrighteousness, our sin goes on Christ and Christ's righteousness comes on to us. That's the most phenomenal, mind-blowing exchange to ever happen. If the love of God is abiding in your heart, then you will love and serve others without a moment's thought. You hear of a need and what do you do? You move, you respond. Here's another thing. What if you sit there and you realize somebody has a need and you can't really meet that need? There might be a limitation. What can you do to meet that need? Find someone else who can. And prayer too. But find someone else who can. 
doesn't mean you go, whoop, okay, all right, I'm done, I'm out of here, I'm dead, I did my thing, I'm really, no, you keep moving, you find. So many times we think, oh, did my thing, check, and we're off down the road. Negative responses in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is exactly what happens when believers do not love one another. I've seen this so many times. I saw it in the South. I think I've said it before. When we were back in Mississippi, and I remember we were driving down a road, and my brother-in-law was driving. I think it was Charles driving. And the interesting thing was, he started spouting off, and it, and it, it, at first you think, ha, and then you just get gripped with the ugly reality. But we went down. There was a church right here. Well, they had a church split because someone's little attitude and little self-centeredness got stepped, and they didn't like it. So what did they do? They split, and down the road a little bit, here's the church that split from this church. Then this little church had a little personal attitude and something went on and sin was rampant throughout the body. And guess what? They had a disagreement and what happened? Another church split. Go down the road a little bit further and here's that church. What testimony of that is of God and his love? Nothing. That hurt. I just sat there and went, why don't those three churches Deal with their sin and get back together for fellowship. You realize there's probably no fellowship going on with those three. And they claim to know Christ. I challenge that. MacArthur summed up everything that we've been looking at with these verses and really everything else in his commentary. He says, as Paul has already explained Galatians 5 verse 6 and 13, The ruling principle of Christian freedom is always love. Okay, that's our foundation. The believer with an unnecessarily strict conscience and the one with a freed conscience are to lovingly accept and serve one another in Christ. Otherwise, they will be just like the most ungodly, self-centered pagans who bite and devour one another and end up being consumed by one another. Lovelessness is utterly destructive. Can you single-handedly destroy a church? Yes, you can. Think on that. Seek the Lord in how you can serve. Don't wait to be told or directed or be asked. But you ask yourself, what can I do? As I said before, the bulletin is not provided as scrap paper, but as an opportunity to serve. So grab it and dig into it and then start seeing what you can do. Examine your heart to see if you are truly a child of God. And that the love of God is present. That's an absolute. We talked a little bit. I mean, you have to be careful on the one another's because you can create those things on the external, can't you? You can have a fake front, a facade. You know what a facade is? It's something that's really 
put up to make everything look pretty, but what's behind could be the most destructive, ugly-looking thing in the world. You know, just a regular old brick wall. But you can put a facade in front of that thing and make it look like a mansion. I thought it was funny. Of course, I won't get very specific here, but a manufacturer used the song Eminence Front by The Who. I know this sounds very, very religious, right? (laughs) As their theme song for the commercial went on, I don't think someone was fully aware of what the song was all about. I think they just liked the catchy tune. It's been since pulled off the air, which has been kind of fun. It's about the fake front that people use to cover their bad. I don't think anyone wanted to sell a product telling the consumer that it just looks good on the outside. Have you ever wanted to buy a product like that? It looks wonderful. Nice packaging. It's a pile of junk on the inside, but just buy more. I don't think so. Eminence, simple definition, it's a position of prominence or superiority. Hmm. wonder what that looks like on a Christian. Hmm. Hmm. Look what I did. It's not humble. A couple of lines in the lyrics. I'm not reading the whole lyrics, so don't panic. It's very interesting. This is a worldly group. This isn't the Christian. We know it's not the Christian group. It's the who. But some of the words just punch you and you go, they got it. And people forget. Forget their hiding. Christian, you hiding sin with your front? Can't do one another's with a front. Behind an eminence front, eminence front, it's a put on. Now, could you see yourself saying, everything that I do in this Christian life is a put on? It's a fake front. I look good on the outside, but on the inside, what? I'm rotten. All that to say, you may be able to keep up a fake front on doing the one another's from the power of the flesh, but it will find you out. You'll not be able to sustain the fake life. It'll expose itself. So what do we do? We go to God, we look, we see, and if the love of God is truly shed abroad in our heart, and it's dynamic, and we are living by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, we are what? We will seek to serve. We will jump for opportunities to serve. We'll minister to the body, take care of one another. It'll expose your heart. Are you a true believer? Is the love of God there? Only you can answer that deep question. Let's pray. God, we don't want to have an eminence front. That's the last thing. But we can create them. You know how many times we actually do put these fronts up, these fake fronts, and make it look good. We might be hurting, and we put a fake front up that falsifies the reality that somebody else could have the opportunity to serve us when we're down. There's sometimes we have needs, and needs that are extreme, needs that are beyond our control. We can't even handle it anymore. But yet we put our own fake front up and hide it for an opportunity for someone else to serve us. Because maybe at this point, now we're looking at our own pride because we reject 
someone serving us. At the same time, God, we can have a fake front on our side while we serve because we do it out of the flesh and we don't do it out of your love, born out of your love, driven by your love. God, help us to examine our lives down deep, down to the deep, dark parts of our heart and help us to see those things that need to be dealt with by you so we can grow. Help us to serve each other. Help us to see what it really means to serve as the example you gave to all of us on the earth and especially those men that you had with you for years saw that service. You washed feet and you told them this was the example. It's the same example for us. Help us to be mindful of our responsibility to you and at the same time our responsibility to love one another, be humble before one another, and to serve one another. God, move us in this direction. Convict us of our sin and drive us to a true path of righteousness with you. In Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.